All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys with us. I know many of you are still up walking around, and so if you'd go ahead and find a seat, that would be, uh, that'd be great. Um, I do need someone to uh, come and actually, uh, Ed, up in the booth. I need you to turn these lights off, please. Thank you. Um, hey, listen, if you are worshiping with us in North Platte, I want to say a big hello to you. Um, if you're worshiping with us down in the venue, I also want to say hello to you. And I can't forget my friends that are sitting right here with me in the main auditorium. Thank you for joining me today. Man, I'm so glad to have you guys at New Life. Uh, God's doing some incredible things at our church, and uh, it's an honor to have you here. If you are a guest with us, please know, I know you can worship anywhere Right? There's so many great churches in our community of Kearney as well as North Platte. And if you've chosen to worship with us at New Life, we, uh, we think that that's something that's special. And we want to make sure we take care, take care of you and um, you know, meet your needs the best possible. In all of our auditoriums, we have hosts that are here. Uh, they're wearing lanyards with their name on it. Uh, they're just simply here to serve you. And if there's anything that any of those folks can do, please ask them. Uh, as well as those that are out at our uh, welcome uh, centers um, in the three different auditoriums. And so please, uh, please meet with those people and let them, let them serve you if you have any questions. Um, if you came with a friend, that friend probably knows a lot about our church as well. And so they can help you out um, in any way. If there's anything that I can do for you, by all means, go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com, and then email me. Um, and I'll be more than happy to respond to you, especially if you're in this stage of your spiritual journey and, man, you've got questions and it's hanging you up and you can't keep moving forward in your spiritual journey. Man, by all means, that's one of the reasons why I'm here, is to help bring some clarity to your spiritual journey from a biblical perspective, not from a Jeff Baker's opinion perspective, and to help keep you moving forward. Hey, you know, one of the things I'm so excited about uh, with our church is this book that we recently published uh, called Resilient. Uh, how many of you guys have a copy of that and you started to read it already? All right, very good. So many hands went up. We have now started the mailing process of mailing that out and saturating the community of Kearney, as well as saturating the community of North Platte. We want every single household address to receive one of these books over the next couple of years. And so we asked you to join with us in sponsoring those books so that we can send them out. Uh, we sent out about 900 books just a few days ago, about a couple, maybe a couple weeks ago now, actually. And by the time they arrived, and now we're actually starting to get stories back of people that have read those books. Some of you might be here because you read that book. If you did, if you did, thank you so much for coming um, after having received that resilient book. Um, one of the stories, a, a guy was so excited that he called me, um, and he left a message at the church, and he wanted me to personally call him back. And so I did. I called this guy back and he goes, listen, Jeff, um, I've been sharing the love of Jesus with my father for 17 years. For 17 years, I've been trying to communicate to my dad how much God loves him and cares about him. And there's moments when, you know, the walls are up and there's moments when we talk and it just only goes so far. And, you know, it's pretty guarded, holds things close to his chest like a lot of, you know, conservative, you know, South Central Nebraska people would do. He goes, but we were driving in front of your church and my dad lives near your church and we passed by and he goes, he says to me, hey son, that's the church who just sent me a book. And I went, 
And he goes, he says to his dad, what book, dad? I mean, what's this all about? They just sent me a book that has incredible stories of people that have had these amazing things happen to them. I've read the first couple of chapters and I'm blown away. It's in fact, it started me to question, you know, who is God and, wh- and what is God going to mean to me? And he, and he just engages in this spiritual conversation. He was so excited about it that he had to call me and he said he wanted the church to know, thank you so much for being vulnerable enough to put your spiritual stories into a book and to randomly send it out. Because the dad now is being more open to the gospel of Jesus Christ than he ever has been in the last 17 years. And I want to say thank you to you as a church for being a part of that. Good work. Good work, guys. We're going to hear many, many more of those stories. In fact, those books, Resilient, they're out there. They're actually for, uh, for sale for you to give away um, as Christmas gifts. Even this year, you can, buy, you can buy that book out there. I think it's maybe like six bucks, or if you buy more than, more than one, I think they're $5 a piece. It's something you know, minor like that. Because you do realize it, Christmas time is here. Like it or not, Christmas is going to arrive again. Okay? Um, Presents have to be bought. Parties have to be attended, right? Are you with me on this? Have have you guys already attended a Christmas party? How many people have attended two Christmas parties? Anybody? We got a couple hands. Okay, let's see. How many have attended three Christmas parties? What? Are you serious? We have a winner in our main auditorium. All right, way to go. Awesome. Three Christmas parties. Uh, Man, God be with you. you know, simple shopping has become uh, treacherous, right? You go to the store just for the simple things and everybody's out there. I don't know if your email is like mine, but it's blowing up with emails from retailers wanting to sell me things. In fact, they love me so much, they want to save me money. <laughs> they want to save me money. Yeah, yeah. My wife at times will come home and say, honey, look what I bought. And I, I saved 25% on this. And in my heart, I always kind of am thinking to myself, don't, please, honey, don't save me any more money, all right? <laughs> don't, don't, don't save me any more money. But my email's blowing up from retailers like yours are. You know, cookies are threatening to expand my waistline. Anybody else with me on that one, right? And then if that's not worse, the TV shows that I like to watch are being interrupted with Christmas specials. Like it or not, Christmas is here and it's here again and the question that we're wanting to ask around new life is this how can we make this christmas more christ-centered than even last year's that's the question we're asking it's the question i want you to entertain it's the question that i i want you to not just entertain but i want you to give serious thought to i want you to really be thinking about how can you make this christmas more Christ-centered than any other Christmas that you have ever experienced in your entire life. And for some of you, some of you, you're the patriarch of your family. You have the ability to pass on something to the future generations that might just make this Christmas more Christ-centered than ever. So how can we do that, right? Because we recognize that um, there are many battles that we're facing to make this Christmas really Christ-centered. And I think one of the big ones that we face is this, that we live in a culture that's attempting to remove Christ even from Christmas. That's the kind of culture that we live in. Our culture is asking us to do something. It's asking us to exchange Christmas for a lot of different things. 
One of the things it's asking us to exchange Christmas for is this, for Xmas. It's asking us to do this next one, to exchange Merry Christmas for Happy Holidays. That's the kind of culture we live in. Take Christ out of Christmas at, at any extreme, right? And here's another one. There, our culture is asking us to exchange Christ, the light of the world, for just lights on my house, right? Our culture is asking us to exchange, check out this next one, Jesus, the gift of Christmas, right, for what? For just the giving and the receiving of tangible gifts, just the materialistic side of Christmas. But our culture is also asking us to exchange the manger of Christ for what? For a tree just in my living room. Now listen, none of these things, none of these things are bad. You know, I mean, for goodness sake, here at our Carney campus, we've got like a 20-foot tree standing in our lobby, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think all of us, there's a joy about giving a gift and receiving a gift. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's nothing even wrong with the Xmas. As much as I don't like it and I won't write it, did you know that the Greek, the Greek word for chi is X, right? And that that chi is short for Christ. So even when you try to take Christ out of Christmas by making Xmas, you still can't do it. I love that. I just, I love that. I just think that that is so exciting. So that's what we're facing, right? That's the kind of political correctness in our world. Well, if you follow that, that line of thought, you'll never make this Christmas the most Christ-centered Christmas. You'll never be able to do it. So what I'm asking you to do is, is help one another this Christmas. Let's help each other make Christ the center of our Christmas And I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to ask you to go to mynewlifechurch.com because we're looking for Christ-centered traditions that you have done in your family over the years, right? And we're also looking for stories of maybe one-off moments, things that you've done from time to time that have helped you to bring Christ into the center of your Christmas. And we want you to share your stories. So please, go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com slash Christmas, and share those stories. You can also share those stories on our personal app that we use at New Life Church called The City. And we need your help to do this, all right? Now, some of those stories that you share, other people are going to pick up and they're going to go, man, I want to use that in my home, right? So that's how we're going to encourage one another, and you can be a part of it this Christmas. Some of those stories... We're going to pick them out and we're going to rebroadcast those stories on our Facebook page and on our Twitter accounts for New Life Church. And in that way, we're going to help the community. Um, We want to be a church that is influencing our community to be more Christ-centered. And here's a way that you can help us do it. All right? Are you with me? All right. So let me start by sharing my Christ-centered tradition that you would find if you showed up on Christmas Day to the baker house, all right? What's mine? Here's what we do. We, we get around where the Christmas tree is and all of the gifts, and, you know, when our kids were little, you know, they're just like foaming at the mouth to open the gifts, right? You know how it is. They woke up at 3 o'clock, and you sent them back to bed, and you told them we're at least not going to open gifts until the sun comes up, right? And so we, we get to that moment 
right at that apex of all the attention just being on all the things that our culture says, and we stop. We put a pause on it all. And I take time to, you know, look at God's word and to tell and retell the Christmas story. To take us back to what is the real meaning of Christmas. And then I, you know, go expository on that for the next three hours. <laughs> and then it's lunchtime, right? And we break, no, I'm just joking. Um, you can see there's only, you only have so much time. There's a window of time that you can seize with this. But engage the people sitting there with you. Don't just have one person read the Christmas story and just let it go. So we just kind of engage everyone. We engage all the way down you know, to the smallest child that can interact with us and just ask them questions. And then we make sure that the focus is completely on Jesus, the greatest gift of Christmas. And then we stop and we take time to pray. And then we move on in exchanging of gifts. And you might think to yourself, that's impossible, Jeff, you don't know my kids. Well, I got it, I understand it, but somebody's got to be the spiritual leader. And so one of the things that I've done for you, and we've done as a church, is that I have created for you a 15-minute DVD that's also going to be at our website, at our church, that you can actually use on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, and you can get the whole family around Um, It's a multi-camera shot. It was professionally done. There's people in my living room, and I go through and I help you tell the Christmas story, even to your family. So if you would like to use that this year to kick off a tradition, I would love that, all right? But then afterwards, I want you to break it and throw it away, and I want you to then model that same example the next following years. But in that video, my wife and Pastor Dave and my son Andy, uh, we break from telling the story to singing some Christmas carols, and then we come back to the story, and for 15 minutes, we just kind of walk our way through it. We got kids in the shot, you know, there's like, you know, kids walking around. I mean, it's just going to be just like your living room, right? And so use that on Christmas Sunday to help you bring Christ into your Christmas. Will you do that? I hope you do. I hope you do. Please pick those up in the lobby. They're completely free. Or go to mynewlifechurch.com and click on the link, and you can watch that as Christmas gets closer. Well, as you've heard, you know, our our Christmas weekend worship schedule has changed. Um, And some of you might wonder to yourself, how can a church on Jesus' birthday close its doors? That doesn't even sound like Christianity, does it? We've moved our weekend worship to Christmas Eve. We've done that because we feel like we can worship God on Christmas Eve just as much as we can worship God on Christmas Day. But to do this, we're going to worship God together on Christmas Eve, and then we're going to release you to worship God in your homes on Christmas Day. To both do both things, to honor God and to honor one another. So I'm asking you to do that. And on Christmas Day, how about this? Instead of one church in three locations, how about we become one church in hundreds of living rooms all across South Central Nebraska together, all right? And you bring your family together and make Christ the center of your Christmas. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that and uh, you'll use that to really honor Christ this Christmas. So again, getting back to our question, how do we keep Christ at the center of this Christmas? How do we do that? Over these next Um, two Sundays, and then Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about it. This week, we're talking about how to live it, how to live Christmas. Next week, we're going to talk about how to trust it. 
how to trust Christmas. And then the third week on Christmas Eve, I'm going to be talking about how to treasure it. How to treasure the story of Christmas so that you can keep Christ at the center. So to talk about today's topic, about living it, nobody lived the Christmas story more than probably the mother of Jesus, Mary. Right? I mean, here she is. She's the one that's pregnant with this baby that she's carrying that's the Messiah, that is Jesus. Right? And she's miraculously, you know, um, conceived this baby through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so she's walking around with this, you know, baby growing in her. And then she's feeling the kick of the Messiah. She's feeling the kick of Jesus. The very strength of the baby as the baby grows. Right? And she gets all the way through the third trimester. And you know, you know, women, come on. You know that that's not... It's not joyous all the way to the end, right? There's, there's, some, there's like pain. There is, you know, this discomfort. And she experienced all of that, all the way to the moment of giving birth to the Savior of the world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine you gave birth to the Savior of the world and then the baby is handed to you and you hold Jesus and you clean his face off? And you hold him up close to you, and you kiss him on the cheek. That's, that is what she was living. She holds this baby, nurtures this baby, and then realizes that you know her and Joseph have now been given the responsibility to safeguard this baby, and to feed this baby, and to take care of all the natural needs of this baby that is so vulnerable that the baby can't take care of itself. You realize that God sent his son Jesus into this world in such a vulnerable state that if Mary and Joseph chose to, they could have just left Jesus in the manger and walked away. Jesus, being fully man, would not have made it on his own. But Mary, she lives the Christmas story. And she sees shepherds come to worship. She sees wise men come to worship. She sees others come to worship the newborn king. Amazing, right? Well, we live Christmas radically different than that. Obviously, right? I mean, obviously, no one in this room gave birth to Jesus. No one in this room had to take care of all of the needs of Jesus in that way. Now, We worship Jesus from a whole different perspective. In fact, we get the joy of a personal relationship with Jesus. But here's the deal. Because we're so familiar with the story of Jesus, we can become less and less amazed by it. When you lose the amazement of Christmas, Christ drifts into the background. You lose the amazement of Emmanuel, God with us. When you lose the awe of that, when that ceases to inspire you, when that ceases to awaken you like a child is awoke on a Christmas morning and wants to run to the tree to open the gifts, when you've lost that awe that causes you to run to Christ, to run to the Word, to read the story again, and to be in awe of the fact that the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Son of the living God came to be among us so that He would live a sinless life and die 
on the cross so that you and me might have a relationship with God and have eternity with him. When you lose that, man, it is hard. It's hard to bring Merry Christmas back instead of Happy Holidays. It's hard to find more joy in the gift of Christ than it is in the giving and the receiving of gifts. It's hard, really hard to see Jesus, the light of the world, versus the tedious deed of putting the lights up. It's hard when you lose the amazement. And the danger that we face is our, is our free access to Christ. It's our free access to Christ in the Christmas story that it becomes the danger for us because it's like what the old adage says. You know, that which costs you nothing has no value to you. And in many ways, Christianity has cost us little to nothing. And so there we lose the value of it. We've got to come back to the mindset of it costs me everything to follow Jesus. The value increases. That's why we just went through a teaching series called Live Dead for the last number of weeks. Because Christianity should be that type of response where it costs you everything. Like I'm all in. I'm not holding anything back. I have surrendered to Christ. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. When that's our attitude towards Christ, it's amazing how the value of Christmas begins to rise. And as the value of the story of Christ rises, Christ starts to become the central focus of Christmas again. Let this Christmas start causing you to ask these kinds of questions. Is is my life displaying Jesus? And is my life displaying Jesus in such a way that there's enough evidence that I would be called guilty of being a devoted follower to Jesus. Let this Christmas resonate with that kind of question. Right? If I was drugging the court, is there enough evidence from the, the display of my life, from the way I live it, from the way I manage it, from the way I love others, from everything I do, that I would be found guilty of being a follower of Christ? Well, if you want to live a Christ-centered Christmas, if you want to live it, then I've got something simple for you to consider today. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Take a look at this. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the what? He's the author and the perfecter of what? Our faith. See, if you want to live a Christ-centered Christmas, then we have to follow a verse like this. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So what does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? That would be the next logical question. That literally means to fix your mind on Christ. That your mind would would be completely focused on Christ. That means your thoughts, your desires, right? Because whatever is, is entertained in your mind, it tends to rule your day. You ever found that to be true in your life? That whatever entertains in here tends to rule your day? You ever had one of those days where you were just entertaining these thoughts about someone else that you never should have had and they were just agitating you on the inside and it kind of ruined your entire day? If you're honest, we all have. Have you ever had one of those kinds of days where you were so excited for what was going to happen that evening that it just made your day amazing? 
Some of you have that when you plan a vacation and you start zoning out mentally way before the vacation. That's because you're desiring it. It's starting to change the way you live. It's changing what you desire. Whatever you think about and you dwell on will change you. It will change you for the good and it will change you for the bad. So when we fix our mind, fix our eyes on Christ, it really truly has the ability to start transforming us. Because whatever you fix your mind on, guess what? You start living it. Fixing your mind on it, you start living it. Paul encourages us in the consideration of what you fix your mind on. He says this in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, he goes, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, set your mind, set your eyes on the realities of heaven, where, where, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He goes on and says this, Think about the things of heaven. Fix your eyes, fix your mind on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, fix your eyes on the things of heaven. Fix your eyes on the things of heaven. So what exactly is he telling us here in this idea of how to live christ-centered fixing our eyes on the things of heaven what does that mean i'm supposed to like sit around and philosophically try to gaze into the heavens and consider what heaven is all like is it does it mean that i'm supposed to go to the scriptures and read the passages that talk about the streets of gold and just ponder those for days and days that talks about the, the many different gates and the jewels that are there. And is, is, is that what I'm supposed to do? And I'm, am I supposed to like get this picture of this place that I've yet to be, but yet that I will spend eternity in? Well, definitely that's like a slice of it. Like the pie, many of them that we're eating this holiday, it's like a slice of it. But fixing our mind on the things of heaven is way beyond that. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly things are things that we should be thinking about and pondering even in our everyday life. Heavenly things would then be this, to be considering what God's perspective is. That's where he's directing us. He's going, think about God's perspective in everything you do and it will become an antidote to you. It will become an antidote to keep you on this earth thinking proper things. It will be an antidote if you start thinking about heavenly things, thinking about God's perspective when it comes to your finances. They'll start honoring God more. When it comes to you know, um, how you love, when it comes to what you're doing at work, God's perspective is a heavenly thought. That's thinking heavenly things. And when you think God's perspective, it becomes an antidote to keep your mind more pure about earthly things so that you don't get yourself tangled up and wrapped up in things you don't want to get yourself wrapped up with. But God's perspective is also an antidote to help break the habit of sin. God's perspective is a righteous perspective, meaning to live right according to God's ways and according to God's word. And if you've got... If you've got sinful habit in your life that you want to break, then we've got to fix our mind on the heavenly things. Fix our mind on the godly perspective when it comes to the way I'm living. 
And fix your mind on it. Pursue it. Pray it. Study it. Look it up in God's word. Decide in your heart, I want to be a man or a woman that honors God in this way. And start pondering the heavenly thoughts, fixing your eyes on those things. God's perspective also, though, is an antidote for empty religiosity. If you're just thinking about God from your human perspective, it's going to be an empty, empty Christmas. And it's an empty religiosity. But God's perspective, heavenly things when it comes to a relationship with God, causes religion to come alive. Causes your pursuit of Christ to come alive. Causes the religious rituals of prayer and reading the word and showing up for worship on Sunday that seems at times so tedious to all of a sudden to have life to them again. When we fix our eyes on the heavenly, when we turn our life over to God's perspective instead of just our perspective. See, when we strive to see life from God's perspective, guess what? Going back to the title again, we're more likely to live it. Lastly, I want to look at a fascinating scripture, fascinating scripture that talks about what it means to really fix your eyes on Jesus so that you can live with Christ at the center. It's found in Psalms. Take a look at it. Psalms 123, 2. It says, we keep looking, we keep fixing our eyes, right, to the Lord our God for his mercy. Just as, look at the examples, servants keep their eyes on their master, and just as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. What does it mean to fix your eyes on Jesus? Well, first off, please get over the language of using this word picture of a slave girl watching her mistress. I know slavery, it appalls us. But this example is something that could radically change your life as it's been, you know, adjusting and challenging even my own life. What does this scripture really mean? First, if you want to fix your eyes on Jesus, then consider this. You have to look to the Lord from the position of a servant or a slave. That's the first thing. If you're really wanting to fix your eyes on Jesus, then lower yourself down to the status of which we carry. We are servants and slaves to the king. We are not the ones in charge. It's really, really hard to fix your eyes on heavenly things when you're the one that's still in charge. It's really hard to fix your eyes on Jesus when you're the one who feels like you're still in charge. We lower ourselves and we lower, we lower our command and we recognize who actually gives the commands. Your entire mission in life is to please the master, is to please the king. Fix your eyes on Jesus from the position of a servant or a slave. Secondly, the scripture says this to us. Look to the Lord as your defender and provider. You know, that's the beauty. That's the, actually the reward of a servant or a slave is that they have a master. And if the master is like God, who is trustworthy, the master is like God, who is faithful, the master is like God, who is going to love and to cherish, and he's not there to harm, right? He's not there to overwork and underpay, but he is a just master. That's who God is. That when you come to God with the attitude of he is your defender, 
there's something about that allows you to let your guard down. It also allows you to recognize that every good and perfect thing comes from you, God. You're my provider. It causes you to take faith and to trust in God. Watch this. In all things, though. All things. You want to fix your eyes on Jesus more intently this Christmas and make Christ the center? And look to God as the provider of all things. But thirdly, look to the Lord for his slightest signal. I love that about that scripture. Look to the Lord for his slightest signal. You guys, you guys have been out to dinner recently. I know many of you have, if not all of you. And you know what a good waitress and a good waiter is versus just an average one or a poor one, right? You know the good ones because the good ones are watching for your body language. The good ones are listening for your communication. Have you ever been out to eat recently where you're trying to get the attention of your waiter or your waitress because you just need your glass of water refilled and you can't get their attention? Isn't that so joyous? Or maybe you're like me and you want to go out to eat and you're going to go to that all-you-can-eat, you know, um, shrimp meal at like, I don't know, Red Lobster, where they bring you five of them at a time. And you can't get your waiter quick enough to bring you the next five before you've eaten the five you have. And there's frustration with that because you're like, I paid good money for this shrimp, man. I want my five shrimp. And, and they, you know, you start getting frustrated and angry, and now the shrimp doesn't even taste good. Now you're just eating it in spite of the whole situation. Right? You're like, just bring me 20 more, man. I'm just going to do it now. You didn't even need the 20. You were already full. Put them in your pockets trying to walk out with shrimp. That's weird. Don't do that. When you have a, when you have a good waiter or a good waitress, they can make that whole experience amazing. Why? Because they're watching for the slightest signal. So when you remember what it's like to be treated when someone's watching your slightest signal, that's the way God wants us to see him. God wants us to listen for his whisper. God wants us to listen for his conviction. God wants us to be so attentive, fixing our eyes on him in such a way that even his slightest nudge, his slightest whisper, commands our very movement, commands our very change of action, commands our very adjustment, mid-sentence even. And we just change the sentence right in the middle. It causes us to back up and redo, causes us to repent. God says, if you want to fix your eyes on me, you want to fix your eyes on heavenly things, be attentive to my slightest movement that's what it means to fix our eyes on christ just to close i want you to go back with me to your your dating years some of you are in those years all right many of us those years are long gone i want you to remember back right when you when you met the person the love of your life and wherever you were at you were sitting in mcdonald's You were riding a subway. You were at a concert. You were walking down the halls of a high school, walking down the corridors of a university, in a hospital. Wherever you were at, all of a sudden your eyes locked with someone else. Remember that moment? 
and you, you couldn't get your eyes off of one another? And you just stared for a moment? It was like a second, but it seemed like a lifetime. Right? All of the women in the room remember this moment, and the guys are like, it better come to me, it better come to me, it better come to me. Remember when you locked eyes and you, you realized something's different here. Something's different here. I need you to go back to that moment when you locked eyes with God in your relationship. Where all of a sudden Jesus came alive. Where all of a sudden you were in a worship service and man, you locked eyes with God's spirit for the first time. Come back to that first love. Fix your eyes. Fix your gaze on Christ. Stare deeply into the eyes of Christ and let Christ become the center of your Christmas. To live with Christ at the center of your Christmas, you're going to have to fix your gaze on Jesus. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start that process in worship. I'm going to ask you to come back to a heart of worship before God and say to God, Lord, as I worship you, will you make me more sensitive to your slightest movement? Let that be our one prayer here today. As we worship God, make me more sensitive, God, to your slightest movement. I want to live a Christ-centered Christmas and I want Jesus to be at the focus of everything I do this holiday season. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've done. Everything that you've put into motion that allows us freely to stand here and worship you. Lord, I don't ever want to take that for granted. Lord, I always want there to be skin in the game, a cost in the game. I always want my life to be seen as I'm all in, all surrendered to Christ. But I, I don't want to devalue Christmas. I want you, Jesus, to be at the center of it. May I fix my gaze upon you, Lord, this Christmas season. And may I be more sensitive to your slightest movement and respond to you. In whatever way that is, may we bring Jesus back into the center of our Christmas so that, Lord, you would get the glory, you would get the honor, and you would get the praise. Help us to live the story of Christ-centered Christmas this year more than ever before. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.